Let's Go Tokyo with Ben O'Shea and Mark Reddings. Hello and welcome to Let's Go Tokyo. Ben O'Shea and Mark Reddings with you. It's August 3, day 11 of the Games, and it'd be fair to say that overnight we saw a couple of shocks. And disappointments, I've got to say, Ben. Yeah, great to be with you again for Let's Go Tokyo. I've got a bit of the Olympic fatigue just kicking in, so we might need just to reburst our way through the last three or four days to get through to the uh, the finish line. But unfortunately, the Matildas won't be at the finish line when it comes to a gold medal. They are out after being beaten uh, 1-0 by Sweden last night. Such disappointment. They'll be competing for bronze against the US. Another shock loss to Canada. Uh, but the good news off the back of that, the Opals, and uh, I was uh, keeping a close eye on that last night. They had to beat Puerto Rico by 25 points to keep their Olympic dream alive. They led by, I think, 16 points at three-quarter time. And, of course, in the midst, they could just see that the target just getting closer and closer. Uh, they got out to, to 27 points. That's where it stayed. I think Puerto Rico might have even thrown up a three-ball at the end of that <laughs> game. But well done to the Opals. They are still in competition. Kudos to them. Yeah, absolutely. Struggled a bit at times during this tournament, but hopefully they're getting right at the right end of the Olympics. And there was trouble in and out of the village skate last night. Uh, in the in the competition, cyclist Alexander Porter was thrown over the handlebars of his bike uh, when they snapped. 64 kilometres an hour, slid along the wood. Uh, pretty rough. That sounds horrendous, and there's some vision of that, which oh. just illustrates uh, how lucky... He was, but uh, Alexander Porter, one of the more eventful, spectacular uh, moments of these games. Off the track, there was a bit more trouble as well, which we're going to dig into here. Um, now, this can happen at the Olympics once competitors <laughs> finish their events. A number of athletes, by the way, uh, making their way home. It seems a few have uh, left with a bit of a trouble reputation behind them. Athletes from Australia's rugby and rowing teams. So let's imagine they're, um, they've done some hard yards over the past week and there's some big blokes and big ladies perhaps involved here. They've been reprimanded for drunken antics and trashing rooms inside the Olympic Village, which ordinarily, that would just seem a, a normal event post-games, uh, but uh, in Tokyo, it's a no-no. Yeah, the protocols are much stricter at the Olympics this year, of course, because of the pandemic. The cleaners reckon they had to come in and clean up some vomit. Maybe there was a little bit of sake drunk by some of those athletes celebrating the end of their games. Uh, the Australian Olympic Committee spokesman has confirmed that a few individuals did leave their rooms in a messy and unacceptable state. I wonder if those cardboard beds stood up to a bit of punishment. <laughs> It does say, I'm quoting, a few individuals did leave their rooms in a messy and unacceptable state prior to departing back to Australia. That sounds like one of my Contiki tours back in the 90s. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. We have so much to talk about today, though, especially our water polo teams. We brought you the news yesterday that Aussie Sharks captain Aaron Younger announced the birth of his baby girl. It's probably desperate to meet her. And the news, well, it might have been a boost to the team. They needed to secure a win over Kazakhstan, which they did, but it wasn't enough to get them through the quarterfinals. Yeah, not quite, unfortunately, but uh, that's... It's a nice way to finish the Olympics for them. Uh, it's all, unfortunately, a bit too late, the victory over Kazakhstan. But uh, the good news is, is that the women are through to the quarterfinals water polo. And, coincidentally, that's what we're talking about very shortly. WA's elite athletes on the podium. Joining us now is a man who has sport running through his veins. He's played for some of the best teams in the world in a sport which he's been playing since he was 10 years old. He's a Rio Olympian representing Australia in water polo. Joel Swift, thanks for your time. Thanks so much for having me. And so can you tell us why the win last night for the Aussie men wasn't enough to get him into the quarterfinals? 
It worked out a bit funny in a curious way that the tiebreak system for water polo is really bizarre, where uh, essentially it was going to land a three-way tie, but Croatia upset um, Spain, or Serbia, apologies, um, in an earlier round. So it ended up Montenegro, the first game of the tournament. The Aussies weren't really there. Unfortunately, went down 15-10. Uh, it went on head-to-head results. So they finished on the same amount of points, but uh, that just led to them being knocked out. Um, now, just for those that haven't followed the water polo campaign for the men, is that uh, unexpected that we'd bow out as early as we have? We know the Europeans are so strong. Uh, how will they reflect on that uh, Olympics? Yeah, definitely. So I think the men probably went into the expectations that probably was about where they were. Um, heading into the tournament, they probably couldn't get a worse draw than what they got. They have three of the four top sides in the world um, ranked with them. And then the other European side ranked um, was Montenegro, who's... In Europe, just won the World League, so they've moved up to standing since the Olympics seeding uh, to probably world number one or two. So really they had, or I'd say personally, four of the top sides in the world and then Kazakhstan, which is a bit of a weaker side. So I uh, did really well to get the upset against Croatia. That sort of set the tone in their second game. Unfortunately, fell off in their third and fourth game against uh, Spain and Serbia, especially that Serbia match. And, uh, yeah, just got the consolation prize last night. And I've, I've always wondered, why are these European nations so strong at water polo? Swimming in Australia is amazing. We showed again at this Olympics that we're dominant in the pool. What's what's the deal with water polo? It's a real uh, cultural thing there. So in the Balkan regions, your Serbia's, Croatia's, um, it's a real, it's really cultural and they've um, done it for a long time and obviously there's a lot of expectation on the country. So it's very prestigious there. Obviously the football or soccer is sort of the number one sport. But water polo is viewed as a really um, prideful, or, uh, you know, um, natural sport like for them to play sport. national yeah, sports. Right. Yeah, that's the same as Hungary as well. That's purely on how well they've done. That um, the leagues in those countries is very strong. Um, obviously, the Australian players are trying to go there, and it's really um, sort of led to their international success. As for our women, uh, mm-hmm. through to the quarterfinals. Um, now, this is not a, a battle of the sexes by any means, but our women have had some some pretty good success over yeah, the over the journey. What, what, why so? How, how do you how do you uh, nail down the reason? Yeah, sure. So I think Australia got a bit of a head start in the women. Um, obviously, women's sport in Australia is a very big thing. Um, in Europe, it was probably sort of put to the side a bit. I'd say it was very cultural water polo for men, but the women didn't actually really play in a lot of these, especially these Balkan regions. The one that I was speaking about earlier, not much focus was really um, associated with water polo there. They're starting to pick up, and I think that's sort of showing in the results more um, with these later Olympics that there's more countries um, that are really competing. It's becoming very um, competitive globally, I'd say, for women's water polo. But I think Australia really got the head start, a lot of focus there, and uh, obviously we have some great swimmers and really great talent, so that's leading to a good result in the women. Well, let's talk about your own Olympic experience, Joel. Cast your mind back to Rio. What was that campaign like? Yeah, really good. Obviously, we sort of went in with high hopes and expectations. Um, Didn't deliver on those, I must say. I sort of have some regrets. We sort of, similarly to this campaign, play Brazil game one uh, in front of their home crowd, people going crazy and lost. Um, That sort of of put us on the back foot. I think we expected to win that game. If we won that game in hindsight, we would have qualified for the quarterfinals. Uh, I'd say it's pretty reflective of my whole career with the national team is we always found a way to lose um, when it mattered most. So, obviously, I lost uh, two World Championship uh, quarterfinals in penalty shootout and extra time. So, oh. 
Just really heartbreak was yeah. sort of the, the picture of my whole career <laughs> with the National Sun. Well, I'm glad we could bring you in for a bit of a pep-me-up, uh, pep-me-up uh, chat with uh, Joel Swift. Uh, Joel, going back to Rio, mm-hmm. the experience itself, obviously the results are what you're after, but how did you find it um, on the other side of the world, a, a different culture, something that I guess a once-in-a-lifetime experience for some? Yeah, definitely. It was sort of an incredible experience. It's a thing you've sort of dreamt of your whole life. From the moment I started playing water polo, it was sort of the thing that was like, I've got to achieve this and it was what I was really striving for so I mean I took a lot of steps in my career to get there um, I was dropped for the London Olympics so one of the last ones dropped so it sort of felt the heartbreak and I think that drove me to um, sort of want it more so I moved over to Europe really committed to my water polo um, moved away from Perth and sort of took that next step to make sure I was at Rio and I think that was sort of the culmination of events that I was just really thankful that I made it and obviously um, wanted to do, do our best there. But, yeah, I'm really thankful and look back on that time as you know, a very special moment in my life. So, Joe, we know that water polo players in Australia, in terms of making a dollar, it's uh, almost impossible. But you said going across to Europe. Mm-hmm. That's a different story there, I think. There's, there's some money to be made there? Yeah, there's a bit of money to be made there. I wouldn't say it's really life-changing, similar to, your, um, obviously, basketball or soccer or one of those sports but it's definitely more manageable um here it's probably you uh, i'd say the average water polo salary uh in europe for a professional player is probably around 50 to sixty thousand australian so you can sort of make a good living um you're playing the sport you love you're probably doing the same amount of training you're doing here anyway but here you're going to work for eight hours a day trying to make <laughs> ends meet so it takes that burden off you I think a lot of the guys are sort of doing their studies or doing something else so that you can get through that as well on top and then sort of um it just assists it's, you're playing the best people you're training in the best legs you're really building your water polo career yeah it makes a lot of sense and we mentioned earlier on in the show uh, that some athletes in tokyo who'd finished their games the rugby players and uh, the rowing team maybe got a bit buck wild at the end of their events did that happen in rio yeah i'm surprised i didn't hear water polo earlier, to be honest. So, especially the men yeah. like a like a shandy yeah yeah, yeah they love a beer so it's, uh, I think it's that kind of sport, you know, you fight hard in the pool, you see all the footage on TV, I see it all the time, um, so you, you know, you got to do something on the other yeah. end and have a beer with the other teams. And then what about the, like, the closing ceremony? Like, what do you remember about that experience and what do you think about, like, these athletes who, uh, as soon as they finish, back on a plane for 14 days in um, uh, Howard Springs in quarantine? Yeah, I feel really sorry for them. I'm still on a WhatsApp chat with, obviously, um, Aaron Younger and AJ Roach, so I'm sort of getting into them at the moment about you know good luck coming home and sitting in a room for 14 days but i think it's really disappointing for a lot of those guys uh it's a very different experience this time obviously we got knocked down in a similar circumstance in rio hung around got to enjoy the other sports so we got to see bolt run the 100 200 sort of it really experienced the games from a spectator um perspective and then we obviously went to the closing ceremony which is great walking out knowing all the eyes in the world are on you and, um, you know, it was a nice way to cap off my career because I knew I was finishing up. I think last night you saw in the men's polo, they finished up. A few of the players were sort of in tears, their career's over, and there's, you don't really have that climactic thing. Mm. Um, if you've just won a game of polo, it's not the biggest thing. Yeah, and you just think of, of coming back from, say, disappointing games, particularly if you haven't lived up to uh, your hopes or your expectations or even what Australians are expecting. Then you've got the 14 days quarantine. On a serious note... Um, in terms of mental health, that's a that's a pretty tough gig at the end of what's been a, a really exhausting five years of not knowing whether you're going to get 
to an Olympics. Yeah, I definitely think so because it's very mentally straining there. There's a lot of pressure on you, not only from other people, but you put a lot of pressure on yourself. Obviously, everyone's very competitive to be, even make it to the games. You've got to really be um, have a quite a mental fortitude, but you put a lot of pressure on yourself. You know you sort of belong. Um, and then sort of that release after the tournament and coming back to 14 days, I just can't imagine it's um, a great experience. Yeah, and how's Aaron doing? You mentioned you're messaging with him. We know that uh, he's welcomed the birth of a child while he's been over there in Tokyo. Yeah, so I believe he's on a plane at the moment back to Hungary. So his wife's Hungarian. Um, he plays in Italy. Um, so he's back on the plane already to Europe. Um, I'm assuming straight to the hospital to meet his daughter. So yeah, they might not have 14 day quarantine over there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. Now, um, good news is that Joel is sitting down. I'm. We're both standing up. I still think he'd uh, fit quite comfortably into maybe a centre half forward position at uh, West Coast or Fremantle. Um, but injury wise, um, we see water polo and the underwater shots the, mm-hmm. uh, the most telling of all. Are there many injuries that that deserve explanation? Um, I think water polo, you're pretty lucky. I think the water actually softens a lot of injuries. I think there's also, there's similar to your footy, your fingers go all the wrong way and you've got to go put back in and then tape them up and finish the game off. But there's not like that devastating knee injury like in footy that sort of sets you back a long time. I think the worst injury I've personally had is a torn rotator cuff. It's probably out nine months with that, obviously full shoulder recon. Um, but that's one of the rarer ones. I think there's probably only two guys in the national team that have been through something sort of like that. Whereas if you look at your other sports, that's sort of more of a common occurrence. You get the odd knee in the Jets crackers? Yeah, you get all that. And I think people are happy to throw out, you know, the punch to the underwater. Everything underwater is sort of fair game. The referee can't see it. So I think, you know, uh, the Olympics is probably the only event with a camera. Um, so... The funny thing about water polo, though, is it's a sport where you train with the other countries a lot more than you actually play at the Olympics or World Champs. You're competitively training with these teams for weeks on weeks. Um, the action that actually happens in those training sessions is a lot worse than in the yeah, games. No doubt. There's no repercussions, no suspension. <laughs> if someone's annoying you, just belt them and move on. Well, you talk about WI, and there's two things that stand out for me just briefly in water polo. Tom Hode, of course, the, mm-hmm. the reputation and what he's done for the sport. But is there a more scenic spot that you've been to, there might be a few, but Bicton Pool, when it's a beautiful afternoon slash evening, it's just a wonderful place to, to watch and maybe compete. Yeah, I'm extremely biased, but Bicton's definitely the best pool in the world. Uh, it's river water, then they chlorinate it, so it's not bad on the eyes. You see the people go out of the pool with the Olympics, they're trying to look for the chlorine wash and whatnot. Uh, nothing like that at Bicton. And just the view, sensational. Well, mate, we've got so much to talk to on the show. Are you happy to stick around? Yeah, let's go for it. In action. We talked about the Matildas. We'll talk about them a bit more about how they were robbed. I reckon Liz Parnov in the pole vault was robbed. Yeah, that could be the case. Um, I didn't see her last oh, night. I watched it. I watched it. So, so the the conditions were terrible. Did you see this, Joel? So that yeah, it, was, it was raining, wet, which is the last thing you really want when you've got a pole vault. You're at the end of the run, and you've got to try and not slip over and jump however many meters high in the air. Uh, and she she faulted on one jump. Uh, on another jump, um, they were telling her to wait for the, the conditions, or they had some technical hitch. She was at the end of her run for about five minutes, just standing there waiting for them to give the the, the flag to continue. In the end, she ended up disqualified. Uh, and then a few minutes later, they put a delay on the competition because of wet weather. And it was too late for her. She was gone. Yeah, that's uh, that's one of the vagaries. It's like almost in the 100-metre sprint final when uh, you break once and done. 
dusted. Yep. Out comes the red card. And, and everyone, even at the dinner table last night, you felt sorry for that athlete that got, got penalised to that matter. It's uh, it's one of those ones that you, you just think at Olympic level, surely there has to be a second chance. <laughs> but no, there isn't. And, and unfortunately for Liz, that was the case. And um, she'll be thinking about that for forever and a day. Um, We've also seen, of course, we talked about Alexander Porter's crash, uh, the handlebars giving way, which uh, was just remarkable in itself. But uh, now, what about here, Riley Day, after uh, the 200-metre semi-final? Um, not quite as uh, demonstrative as... <laughs> it as wasn't an Kaylee. F-bomb. It wasn't the F-bomb, but the holy S was the uh, terminology, which I think, uh, I think Joel, that... You're excusing that type of emotion after a... Yeah, a, definitely. We're sports people, you know. You get trained on all the media stuff, but uh, it's <laughs> definitely sec- it's second nature. It's not how you talk in general life, I think. And, <laughs> and don't you think that the Aussie public just love it as well? We love to I see that human side. Love it. Genuinely love it. And I think it makes you f- uh, feel closer to these athletes, to be perfectly It honest. was a PB, by the way, so you've got to give her uh, a... Pat on the back for that. Um, 21-year-old finished with a PB, as I said, of 22.56, just short of getting her into the final by 0.17 seconds. It just shows you that the margin for error or the margin between making a final and not is just so small. Yeah, well, just look at uh, Australian 400-metre runner Bender Oboya. Uh, heartbreak there. Uh, finished fifth in the qualifying heat this morning. Just missed out on a place in the quarterfinal. Yep, that can happen, and uh, unfortunately, uh, as we said, there's, there's, there's hard lock stories, there's, there's great stories. Uh, we're looking forward, hopefully, to, to Peter Boll doing some great work in the 800 metres final for us. And what about Andrew Hoy, became Australia's oldest Olympic medalist at 62. This is his eighth Olympics, by the way. Takes the title from fellow athlete Bill Roycroft, who won eventing at the age of 61 at Mont- Montreal in 1976. So let's do some math here. 62 years of age, 2021. Uh, we go forward... 11 years to Brisbane 2032. He'll be 75. Well, don't we have it? We have a 76-year-old woman in the equestrian, I think. I knew we had a 66-year-old woman somewhere. Um, I think it's equestrian. Okay, well, Uh, the 70s is not being ruled out for Brisbane. Andrew Hoy, he's, he'd been around for so long, but I was still surprised to hear he was 62. <laughs> How many horses would they have <laughs> no, That's a great question. Yeah, all of the above. But no, Andrew Hoy um, just keeps on keeping on, and uh, I suppose in a, in, a, in a sport like equestrian, you can have a bit more longevity. Yeah, well, the horse does all the work, let's be honest. Uh, and so, and let's look at the medal tally now. Australia sitting fourth, 14 golds, four silver, 15 bronze. When you see Australia there, Joel, fourth on the medal table, well, it's pretty impressive, isn't it? Yeah, incredible. To be honest, I think it's a bit unbelievable. You look at the size of the other countries in the world and we're just sort of standing up on um, on our sort of sporting prowess. It's really incredible. Yeah. And, and you think of those countries above us, China, top spot, 29 gold, 18 silver, 16 bronze, the USA next, and then Japan, the host nation, as often is the case, the host nation performing above and beyond. But it's always a pleasure to have a special guest today from the world of water polo, Olympian from 2016, Joel Swift joining us here on Let's Go Tokyo. Tokyo's top moments. And yet, Karsten Warholm of Norway obliterated his own world record in the Olympic 400 metre hurdles, finishing in 45.94. Outstanding, isn't it? Fantastic. It's quick. Oh, that is just rolling <laughs> quick as ever. Um, Elaine Thompson, hurrah, completed the 100-metre dash in 10.61 seconds. Officially the fastest woman alive. She suffered so many injuries over the course of her career. Japan, uh, Jamaica, should I say, also swept the podium, taking home silver and bronze in addition to the gold. 
Yeah, bit of, maybe a bit of tension between the Jamaican teammates, though. Uh, her top rival, Shelly Ann Fraser-Price and Sharika Jackson, took silver and bronze, and, and they were pretty frosty in their response. Yes, isn't it? That can happen, though. Uh, a big egos in the sprinting. Oh, the egos are massive. Uh, you just have to look at uh, what we've seen on the track and field already, and um, they get their moment in the, the sun or the spotlight, and uh, obviously you're training to win gold and, and win the when you're onto a podium, you're not going to stand in the way of even a teammate if that comes to pass. Um, by the way, Elaine Jamaican's teammates and top rivals, Shelley and Fraser Price and Sharika Jackson took silver and bronze. Uh, that's all part of uh, what's been to- talking about or spoken about in Tokyo. And no Olympic champion, by the way, had broken 10.7 since Flojo. Uh, that's going that goes back, back a while, Flojo. Yeah, and uh, some stories behind uh, her performance. Uh, Thompson Hurrah, <laughs> who defended the, her 2016 title, wasn't sure she would either. Yeah, and uh, in stark contrast to the Australian swimmers' joy uh, when their teammates won medals in the pool. Uh, Australians are typically so great at supporting each other, aren't they? Yeah, definitely. I think we're a real country that wraps their arms around us, and I think that is going back to the population type thing. We're just sort of very happy for everyone, and really the teams I found at Rio just sort of got around each other. Yeah, and I'd love to get your opinion on this one as well. Simone Biles going into the final of the balance beam tonight after she confirmed that she'd participate in that. Like, what do you reckon is the pressure on her shoulders right now? She withdrew earlier uh, in the games, citing mental health concerns from the team's event. And the only thing that's happened since then is she's received hundreds of thousands of of messages on social media. She's been talked about endlessly in the mainstream media. Everyone's got an opinion. And now she's got to somehow put that out of her head and do flips on something that's 10 centimetres wide. Yeah, it's really curious, that one, because there was a lot of, um, obviously, outreach and support of her initially, and then there was a lot of sort of backlash on other channels around, you know, you're selfish, she took someone else's position and whatnot. So it's interesting that sort of nothing has happened that we know of um, from the media side of things, and she's sort of overcome in a way yeah. the mental demons, and it's now going to compete again. And what we do know is that... Uh we learn things, and in gymnastics, I commentated in 2012 in London, I'd never heard of the term twisties, and yeah. that, that's come out because of the, the mental, mm-hmm. I guess, barrier that's been uh, put inside someone's head when they're about to perform a artistic manoeuvre that you just can't process in your brain, so the twisties becoming an issue for her, but it's great to see her back, because that's what we want to see Simone Biles do what she does, and she does it brilliantly. Uh, Nasa Patricia Dimons Barrera is the first woman, by the way, to win an Olympic gold medal for Ecuador, gold yep. in weightlifting, Good and enough. she uh, gave a tribute to her historic win to her late mum and brother, who sadly passed away two and three years ago. Yeah, and <laughs> I love this one. This, the Olympics just, you know, it just throws up so much, good and bad. A Ukrainian shooter has made one of the more remarkable blunders in recent years when he shot at his opponent's target. At least he didn't shoot at his opponent. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, all we can say. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's uh, one that. I guess you've got to look back on and uh, feel a bit sheepish about it, isn't it? <laughs> it's like, I imagine the targets are probably right next to each other, so he's missed his by a long way. <laughs> and then maybe he's tried to cover Trying by to saying, oh, I got the wrong target. <laughs> <laughs> oh, not sure where to look with that one, but um, yeah, there's been a bit of embarrassment there, wouldn't it? Um, by that, that was in the 10 metre air rifle, um, and uh, unfortunately, uh, zero points go to. Uh, 
that competitor who yeah. didn't quite hit his target. No, he missed his target by a mile. Let's talk about what's coming up. Uh, massive, massive uh, 24 hours ahead in the pole vault. Aussie Curtis Marshall is into the final tonight. It'll be about 8pm on TV. Yeah, finished second in his heat, uh, clearing 5.75 uh, in gymnastics. Tyson Bull is into the final of the men's horizontal bars. That's uh, at about 5.40 our time. Then, of course, there's beach volleyball. Yeah, Aussies versus Canada in the quarterfinal at 9pm uh, in boxing. Harry Garside competing against the Kazakhstan fighter tonight, 5.30 p.m. And we get into some team sport. Uh, Joel, you'll be hopefully keeping an eye on the Kookaburras. They play Germany in the semi-final tonight at 6 o'clock after, of course, the hockey ruse lost yesterday. Uh, they're keeping our Australia's hockey hopes alive. Uh, you follow the team sports more or, or the individuals? I'm a big team sports man. What That's thoughts why are? I've sort of faded that way myself. So, yeah, Well, big... Skeet's got a pride on the line. He has boldly predicted the Kookaburras would go undefeated throughout this tournament. So far, spot on. Well, they are the number one ranked team in the world, so it wasn't like a, a wild prediction. But uh, in the Olympics, as we saw with the... the uh, hockey Roos yesterday, um, beaten 1-0. The Matildas last night, 1-0, heartbreak, and the Sam Kerr referee controversy, non-decision. Gee, I tell you what, I reckon there were a few expletives thrown at the TV sets around the country <laughs> last yeah, night. Definitely. And are you a purist when it comes to Olympic sport, Joel, or do you like to see some of these new exhibition sports like skateboarding and BMX? I actually really enjoy it. I think it brings a new set of eyes. I think the X Games and that side yeah, of yeah. the world is sort of really... Um, brought new light to this. I really enjoyed it. I wish we could go view it. I think it was something I wish it was that real and I could go watch this sort of skateboarding. Those things that I do as a kid and sucked out and injured myself. <laughs> well, <laughs> you'd be happy to know that uh, climbing a new sport at Tokyo is uh, in action today. What do you re- Have you seen that? They get up that wall so fast. It's yeah, like, that's a joke. They do. It's like Spider-Man, except uh, without the outfits. Uh, Aussies, Tom O'Halloran and Oceana McKenzie are competing in all three events. The speed, bouldering and league qualifiers. Um, God bless climbing. Where are we at at the Olympics? Artistic swimming, of course. Doubles routine. Australia's competing at 6.50 tonight at time. Came 21st in the prelim round yesterday, uh, which wasn't last at least. If you remember our chat with uh, Amy Thompson, she said, of course, um, and we do remember that quote, very well that we said what are your expectations and she goes as long as we don't finish last (laughs) (laughs) you got to respect that it's one of the few sports in the olympics that's uh, women only uh, and so if they ever opened it up the competition to men you're no slouch in the pool would you give it a crack joel i couldn't do it look at the size of me i'd probably drown myself (laughs) although i've tried to walk around the uh, house how they walk into the arena the big smile the very stationary (laughs) i wonder how many beverages you had uh, before you'd done that though uh, big boy (laughs) and uh, jake Lilly will be competing in a medal event of the finn race uh, at the time when not sure about that one yet. Australia will be competing in the NACRA 17 medal race too. So still potential for some medals in the sailing. Absolutely. And of course, Matt Wern, uh, he'd be heading home pretty soon after that 48-hour window and uh, jumping on a plane and heading into quarantine for 14 to celebrate with himself. But uh, yeah, it's, it's another aspect of the sailing where we've been quite competitive. Now, by the way, tomorrow, uh, the marathon swimming, the 10K final, Karina Lee is the representative from Australia. That kicks off bright and early at 5.30 tomorrow morning. Yeah, and WA's very own Hannah Green is playing in round one of the women's individual in golf, starting at 6.30am. Yep, that's terrific. Uh, 
She's had some great success overseas in golf, and we know Minji Lee in more recent times. Uh, likewise, uh, a tournament victory. Uh, that's going to be fascinating to see how the Aussies go there. And what about this, Joel? The Opals in the USA, quarterfinal time, 12.40 tomorrow. They beat Puerto Rico yesterday. The basketball, now there's some questions as to um, the legitimacy of three-on-three basketball, but I think most of us love watching the Opals and the Boomers uh, yeah, definitely. go for a medal of any sort. It's going to be tough against the Americans. Yeah, I think we have high hopes of both teams as well this year, to be honest. Um, yeah, I think the US is probably the gold standard in the men and women, so bring it on. I think we can beat them in both men and women's. Yeah, and pencil in tomorrow, 8pm, to watch Peter Bowl in the men's 800 metre final. Yeah, can't wait for that. Uh, just after 8, as you said, uh, the nerves, the anxiety, and we just hope that the family and friends of Peter Bowl record their reaction, as they did uh, a couple of days ago. <laughs> it was just like uh, it was like a water polo wind-up party at the Olympics, actually. It was just crazy stuff, but it was good to watch. Yeah, yeah, and so let's get your opinion, Joel, before we let you go. The women's water polo Tonight, Australia taking on the Russian Olympic Committee. Yep, How lock us in. Lock us in. A lock. Yeah, yeah, lock. Lock. Gee, I'm all it's over a lock. It. Six six fifty p.m. tonight. The so Russians, there go. they're going to come out strong. They'll try to beat up our girls, but I think we got a strong side. I think this is their year. I think they they are a real chance. The girls, so we get around them. Any team, we can just say this between us. Any team that's more dirty than others on the world scene. Uh, I mean, in the women, I think Russia's probably the one you got to watch out for. They're pretty uh, nasty. In the men. Um, yeah, Italians as always. That's you know, fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> they've won Euro. Two they've won the world's fastest man. They've got the high jump record, whole gold medal. Arrogance. Oh, yeah, they'll be celebrating in Ligon Street as we speak. Yeah. Uh, Joel Swift, Rio Olympian, thanks for coming on to Let's Go Tokyo and sharing your insights. We really appreciate you being here. Thanks very much for having me. And that's it from us today. You can catch all the action from the Olympics at thewest.com.au. Join Skeet and I tomorrow as we speak to former Olympic cyclist Josie Tomic and bring you all the highlights from the Tokyo Olympics. You've been listening to Let's Go Tokyo by The West Live with Ben O'Shea and Mark Reddings.